0: As we suffer through all of this together, we also need to strive to thrive together. This moment in history has become a crucial pivot point for each of us. Because in the midst of this pandemic, I've been asking myself, what is it that we really fear? Uh, Is it the disease itself? Or is it something that runs much deeper than that? You know... There are many hospital workers, medical professionals, nurses, doctors, who are now on the front lines of this conflict, doing battle. They are warriors, each of them. This past week, there were social media posts on display showing medical teams in their protective gear, several at a time, saying prayers together. Outside, many of our hospitals around the nation parking lots were filled with occupied cars with many americans conveying their gratitude by honking their horns shouting out praise and encouragement to those who are putting their lives on the line every day of this crisis many of them observing the social distancing guidelines would be standing outside also offering prayers for protection for healing and peace to be granted to all those inside patients and medical staff Alike. In this weary world, it is both the emptiness and the hunger of the human soul to grasp for something higher than ourselves. Because it is when life meets the darkest caverns and the deepest pains that we are reminded of our feebleness and the desire to find that which will give us the promise of hope. What is it that can give us meaning in such times like this? Is it religion? Is it faith? Is it some metaphysical philosophy that says we can transcend it all and shut it out with a few words of chanting and a higher plane of thought? Many skeptics can't reconcile a world of pain and suffering with a creating and loving God. But it is when I see a world that longs after pleasure by indulging in whatever they can find, to only walk away completely empty afterwards, that I and many are not able to reconcile this even more. When the longing of humankind is to fulfill the object of our senses, to feel, to, to touch, to taste to hear and see those things which bring us pleasure, but leave us empty every single time, then it's time to look elsewhere. When is enough enough? We depend so much on what we can see with our own eyes to prove what is real, when right now a small, infinitesimal, tiny molecule which we can't see with the human eye is what is keeping the whole world up at night. I think G.K. Chesterton says it best. He says, Meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. Where does the pleasure-seeking lie now for all of us? Does it free us from the threat of this disease? And what promise does it offer us? COVID-19 may be the pandemic disease of 2020, but meaninglessness has been and is the pandemic disease of history. This is where, this is where the worldview of Jesus comes in. He does not offer pleasure. He doesn't even promise a life free of pain. He does, however, offer freedom from both because ultimately our choice in this life matters our choices matter because they make a statement about what matters most to us indulgence in what is temporary is just that it comes and it goes it ends in the life of Jesus life finds a new beginning It offers us the opportunity not just to live a life of fulfillment here on this earth, but promises the hope of a new world where none of this meaninglessness and death and disease exist any longer. Does any other worldview offer that? Can any world leader, any leading physician, um, expert scientist, a guru or teacher offer that to us now? Today, if an unseen microbe can bring the world to its knees and grip us all with fear, what then does it cost us to look up to the unseen God who has offered not just peace and healing, but offers us life without the fear of death? We're busy here trying to affect change. Change in society, change in politics, change in education, change in the social classes, change in religion, change, change, change. But with every attempt, someone, some group within the human race gets left out, whether intentionally or unintentionally. Some throw bombs, others throw punches, many throw insults and bricks through windows, while still yet others throw money and words. And I ask you, where has it gotten us ultimately the question is can humanity save humanity change look at the life of jesus and you'll see just that you see it when he sits down to have lunch with the unwanted to society you see it when he places his hands on those who are in pain who are hurting sick and defeated You see it when he speaks to the brokenhearted, when he feeds those who are hungry. You see it when he takes a beating and is betrayed by those he called friends. You see it when he forgives his very executioners. This isn't a story of religion or fantasy. It's history. And it's the story of us all. Why then do so many resist? What is it that keeps so many of us from letting go of all of it right now and simply come to Him? The time is now. When Alice tumbles down the rabbit hole, she finds herself in a whirlwind of unknowns. Turned down, upside down. And along the way, though this world of enchantment dazzles and impresses, it really becomes an endless merry-go-round for her. Where the merry isn't exactly what it seems. It's when she meets with the fanciful Cheshire Cat that she asks which way do I go? The cat replies, it depends on where you want to end up. To which Alice answers, I'm not sure. And so comes the cat's response. Well, if you don't know where you're going, it doesn't much matter which way you turn, does it? And there it is. Where are you going? And even more importantly, where do you want to go? There's a lot of philosophical nonsense out there, which at times may sound good. You know, those quotes we like to take and put up on the fridge or put on our desks or as a screensaver on our computers. Like this one. It's not about the destination. It's about the journey isn't it really about the destination? Knowing where we're going helps us to define the journey we'll ultimately take. It isn't really a journey if there is no destination. It's just a merry-go-round. No end in sight. A bit of this and a bit of that, but all you end up with is a dizzy spell with nothing gained. If you remember a few episodes back... We took some time to look at Bill Maher's Religious, a documentary with the purpose of looking at religion through, yes, uh, the eyes of a skeptic comedian, to really understand why it is people like you and me would really give any credence to beliefs that seem like a fairy tale. Uh, Take a listen uh, back to episode five if you haven't already. Uh, this deal specifically with that documentary. Now, Bill Maher's documentary intrigued me because while no doubt Bill's intent was to poke fun at the institution of religion, he wasn't wrong about how much religion has done to take advantage of people through manipulation and greed. It's undeniable. Because here's the thing about someone like Bill. He would acknowledge that the person who Jesus was The principles that he stands for, how he treats others, his teachings on loving your neighbor, helping and serving the sick and the destitute, it is all good. It's all good. But in his view, religion has taken the purity of someone like Jesus and altered it to fit and benefit those who crave and are in power. For instance, Bill poses these questions at the beginning of the documentary, to a few Christians in a local chapel. And this is what he asks. Are you ever bothered by many things that are in Christianity that are not in the Bible, like original sin, immaculate conception, popes? Are you worried that these things came not from the founders, the people who wrote the Bible, but from men, from human beings? And here's the thing. This is not some simple-minded question. It's honest. It's actually one of integrity. It's one of truth. For those of us who believe that Jesus is who he says he was, and that he lived and taught what is ultimately true and right, what do we do with a lot of the traditions that many Christians hold today that are disconnected from what Jesus himself taught and lived by? Because this is where many who are searching stop and can't go any further. Part of the journey to find truth is to be the inquisitors that we are and ask the tough questions. Does it matter when those who claim to be Christians, when those who are pastors, leaders of an institution that claims to be representative of who Jesus was and is, leave us with more to doubt and more to be desired? And that requires us to take a deeper look into our history. The history of the world is largely dominated by the conquering of one kingdom or one system over another. The largest kingdoms can be traced down from Egypt, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. These represent large empires which at one time dominated what could be considered the known world at each given period of history. Each also brought with it its own religious and belief systems. Rome is the most fascinating to me of all of them because Rome has a split, if you will, a split over rule. Now, this is just an overview and not meant to cover Rome's history in depth. Obviously, it is indisputable that Rome was the ruling power at the time of the birth of Jesus The Roman Empire invaded the area of Palestine around 63 BC. They took over Jerusalem, and through the rule of governors and procurators, each province supervised and governed by Roman law, though in the case of Jerusalem, the Jewish people were still allowed to practice their religion. During this time, there was already a power struggle between different factions in Jerusalem. It's a fascinating time in history to research and read about. Now, it was Pompey the Great who ultimately came in and intervened by force to stop this civil war and bring Jerusalem under Roman rule. Jesus is sentenced to death under Pontius Pilate around 31 AD or so. Once the Christian movement begins after the death and resurrection of Jesus, a whole new conflict begins. Now Jesus had already posed a threat to the Jewish temple and to those in power. And so it wasn't enough that the Jewish Sanhedrin had in their own minds gotten rid of Jesus. They must now stamp out any of his followers who remain. So the Jewish temple, in league with Rome, immediately begins to persecute. They imprison and kill as many as those who call themselves followers of Jesus. Now, this is how the Christian church begins. Now, persecution was not as fierce to begin with. It it was intermittent. It wasn't until the Roman Emperor Nero that we find a more systematic persecution against the Christians after the Great Fire in 64 AD. Over the course of 200 plus years, Christians would continue to be persecuted and killed, although Rome did show some sort of tolerance over other religions and belief systems. Christianity, however, never stopped expanding during this time. It only grew larger and larger. And one of the most intriguing events we find in Roman history is the conversion of the Roman Emperor Constantine in about 313 AD. Now, this represents an obvious shift in power, so to speak, at least for for, for Christians to whom now Constantine began to give reparations for lost lands, uh, lost fortunes, and ownership to those who had suffered under Roman oppression. Now, to this time, there had been church leadership, what one might call uh, a head bishop or what is now referred today as Pope, head of the church. Over the course of the next century or so, the Roman Empire fell into great periods of war, and its uh, power began to decrease over time. However, the power of the Christian church in societal life began to increase under the leadership of the popes. Now, without going too much into detail, the western half of the Roman Empire had been lost to various tribal powers. Namely, the most powerful were the Ostrogoths. They were a Germanic tribe from the area um, of the Black Sea, which today is modern-day Ukraine, Romania, and Russia. Now, while the Pope did have a certain religious ruling power, the Ostrogoths had lessened much of the Pope's influence. So enter one Justinian I of the Eastern Roman Empire. He sought to regain the full power of Rome. And in 538 AD, he was able to conquer the Ostrogoths and regain control. It's at this point in history that Justinian makes a fascinating shift in power, another shift in power. Because remember, up to this point, Rome has been an imperial power. And though Christianity has been made an official religion in Rome by Constantine, it was not exclusively Christian. The historical record shows that Justinian I declared himself to be a theologian and no longer a soldier. Now, we might think, big deal, right? Well, not so within the time period in which he lived. Because he set out to Christianize the entire empire. In other words, the line between church and state he sought to completely do away with because Justinian upheld the supremacy of the Pope and sought to give full ecclesiastical and social power over to the office of the Pope. Under Justinian, church-building projects began to take place as well as persecution of those who opposed the church. This became known as the Code of Justinian, which served as a precedent to, the, to all the succeeding popes who would come during the Middle Ages. Now this gave the office of the Pope a supreme power equal to that of the past Caesars of Imperial Rome. And most of us know of all of the inquisitions, all of the wars and conflicts that would progress through what is called the Dark Ages. Millions of Christians lost their lives during this period in history. And it became one of the bloodiest periods of Western Europe. Now, why do I relate all this? Because what I find curious about all of this history is that the same religious group that had been persecuted by Imperial Rome now became the persecutor under Papal Rome. Now, if that is an irony, I don't know what is. And this oppressive power continues to the year 1798, which is at the height of the French Revolution. And it was in 1798 that Napoleon's troops uh, came to occupy the northern part of Italy. And one of Napoleon's generals marched on Rome, captured Pope Pius VI, and declared Rome a republic. The papal power was broken but only to be taken over by a power that while proclaimed liberty for the European world became another bloodbath and it would stain history with the thirst of power and greed just like the period in history where imperial Rome transitioned into a religious papal power. Now, all of this being said is for what? It's because I can understand the inquisitors like Bill Maher who ask, what is there about Christianity that I should give in to if this is its legacy? Now, what we haven't spoken about are the persecuted themselves. Why did Roman Catholicism in the name of Jesus Christ unleash a slaughter of other Christians the likes of which has never been seen on the face of the earth? You know, it's been estimated that between 50 to 60 million Christians were killed for what they believed during the Middle Ages. And this over what? A difference of opinion? A difference on belief? Because of those who opposed papal rule and the abuse of power, when many like Martin Luther or John Huss and others of the like asked why it was that they were being forced to practice things that couldn't be justified by the founder himself. It stands to reason that that if we're going to give credence to such a belief system, that we would like to understand why those who have stood as representatives of Jesus have acted and lived so in contrary to how he acted and lived. Because if we're going to live with the hope that Jesus is the answer to the darkness and the depravity of this world that we live in, then it matters that we live by the truth of what he said and not by the rule of traditions of flawed and ambitious men. The truth is far greater than that. mugridge once said the depravity of man is the most empirically verifiable fact at the same time it is the most intellectually resisted and here lies the problem we don't like to be told that our condition is found wanting that we are fallen immoral and sinful this is where most people have a problem with Jesus. Besides his own words about the human condition, his own life without words becomes a standard of living that when we begin to measure ourselves by, it makes us uncomfortable because we end up falling short every single time. It's akin to our school days when you may have had that friend who followed all the rules, did everything right was always on time with his or her assignments, was always the first to answer all the questions correctly, aced every exam, and who it seems didn't have any of the weaknesses or shortcomings that we had. That classmate ended up annoying just about everyone. But why? What is it about those do-gooders that always seem to push our buttons and make us feel like second or third best. We don't like that feeling, do we? And all the while that that goody-two-shoes would frustrate us, at some point you begin to realize that it isn't really him or her that we're upset and frustrated at. It's really ourselves. Because the fact is, we want to do Better. We want to excel and make our professors, our peers, and our parents proud of us. But we always end up falling short. So comes the root of the problem it's our condition. This is at the heart of the truth of Jesus. He comes to heal, He comes to do good and serve His fellow man. But He says He also comes to restore he comes to save without any censorship or attempt to hide behind any platitudes he shows us the capacity with which we must love because it is exactly the way in which he loves humanity as depraved as we are We are wanted. We are sought after. We matter. And the point of Jesus' life isn't to make us better in the here and now. It's to make us new. To take us out of this depravity, out of this chaos, and out of this darkness. And forget about religion and religious concepts. These aren't concepts to be haggled with. They are as real as COVID-19, this small unseen microbe causing so much pain and suffering and death. Jesus' life and his death become incredible and powerful statements in our world today. We can be restored. We don't have to settle for what naturalism says is our fate, which is nothing, a nowhere a no-destination journey. Is that what we want to believe from flawed man rather than someone who was not only willing to live what he said, but die to prove it? That God is real. That he did create each and every one of us intentionally and that we have worth and that our destination is not nothingness, but finally... The world we have always longed for. The one we've been crying out for. One where we are all living as one. Where we are all made new. And all of us are restored. There is more to the story. Much more. And it doesn't end with our eradication. It ends in new life. That's what Jesus' life and death offers us now, today. Recently, I came across a new series called The Chosen. I've yet to see any film or production on the story of Jesus such as this one. Because this one stands alone. It really captures the realism of the human condition and the realism of Jesus as he was. Here's a scene from episode 7, when Nicodemus, a church leader, meets in secret with Jesus.
1: Do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses in the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? god made a way for them to be healed moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it so will the son of man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life our people are not dying from snake bites they're dying from taxation and oppression i'm sorry to disappoint you But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So this has nothing to do with Rome? It's all about... God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus. He sent him to save it through him. I, my whole life, I have wondered if I would see this day. Is the kingdom of God really coming? What does your heart tell you? My heart is swollen with fear and and wonder. It can tell me nothing except that I am standing on holy ground.
0: For those of us in quarantine this week, I'm gonna leave the link for the chosen up under today's episode in the show notes. So, if you go to truthreal.transistor.fm, you'll be able to access it there, and uh, it'll give you access to to really the entire series because it's not available on any other platform. It has its own app, so, um. If uh, if if you don't have a chance to go to to our website, you can always download the app directly. The app is called The Chosen, and you can find it on your on your App Store, and you can access all the episodes there. And I'm telling you, you'll want to watch it again and again and again. I'm already uh, watching it for the third time. This week we find ourselves going into what Christians around the world. Noah's Holy Week, the week prior to the death of Jesus. And what a different world it is. Instead of the streets and churches being full of believers, commemorating and singing and praying, walking in parades of celebration, we will find the streets and churches empty. It's not how the world envisions spending this time of year but here we are but has the light been extinguished and has hope been burned out because there will be prayers offered by many in their living rooms families will sing songs around their pianos or coffee tables the story will be read from the countless lips of children and mothers and fathers, grandparents and loved ones. The ancient words of the Scriptures will not fall on deaf ears. Not this year. And the homes in each town, community, city, state, county, and every country will be like candles keeping the light ablaze. And the light will shine on. It will. That's the promise. The light which came so long ago in the person of Jesus is not some distant memory. It's a guarantee. Because that same Jesus who came is coming again. He said, I am coming soon. That's the hope that shines in the darkness.